you ready for God's Word? Amen, amen, amen. Listen, we've been talking about breaking point. I'm going switch to I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. We've been talking about breaking point. And we know that we can all reach a breaking point. We also know that we face a real enemy. And if we're not careful, the enemy um, will take us to that breaking point. But I also don't want us to look for a devil under every rock and behind every bush. The truth of the matter is that Many times we get to the breaking point without ever having his help. We do it all in our own strength. We, we get to the point where, where, we, where we go beyond what's healthy thinking. I call it stinking thinking. And I want to remind you of what, where we were last week. We read that Paul was giving advice to his protege, Timothy, and he said this to Timothy. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Come on, how many of you know that we have the blessing within us to bless others? That means when we pray for our children and we put our hands on them, there really is something to that. When another brother in Christ puts his hands on you and blesses you and says, may you go in peace, Praise against anxiety or worry or stress. There is something to that. Paul is saying there is a blessing that comes with laying of hands and praying for one another. But, but watch what he says. Therefore, I remind you to stir up that gift. That means you've got to stir up the good stuff within you. And watch what else would he, he says. By the laying out of my, of, of my hands, that gift was given to you. For God has not given you or given us a spirit of fear, has not given us a spirit of fear. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, has not? Don't miss it. Has not. Has not given us a spirit of fear. Now, let me ask you, what is the spirit of fear? I want to submit to you today that the spirit of fear is the spirit of anxiety. And it's alive and well in our community and our nation. And in fact, it's pervasive. It is spreading like a pandemic all over the country. And do you know that there are more individuals on anti-anxiety uh, anti medication than there ever has been in history? Because anxiety is the plague of this generation. And one of the reasons is because as the enemy keeps tricking us to rely on our own strength, to rely on our own understanding, we end up going to a place where we are at our breaking point. What does it mean? It means that we all have a limit. And anxiety comes in when we reach that limit. Let's read the definition of anxiety. The definition, according to uh, the one I found online, was this. Feeling of worry. Now, where does this feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease come from? Well, typically, it's about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Now, why is it uncertain? The reason it's uncertain is because we have a very certain limitation. And so when we reach that limit, everything beyond the limit is uncertain. Let me put it to you this way. When you worry about finances, it's because you're uncertain about what you may not have in the future. 
When you worry about the future, it's because you're uncertain of what you don't know. When you're uncertain if you'll have the strength to cope with whatever's coming, it's because you are at your limit of your power. It's because we're not all knowing, omniscient, we're not all powerful, omnipotent, and we don't have unlimited resources. We're not the Federal Reserve or the U.S. government that can just always print more money. We got to work within our means. And so this feeling of uncertainty creates a tremendous amount of worry and nervousness. And to put it another way, it's a mental condition characterized by excessive apprehensiveness about real or perceived threats, meaning they don't even have to be real to freak us out. They just have to be believed to be real. And so today I want to talk to you about something super important, and that is anxiety's antidote. Anxiety's antidote. My message will be structured super easy. It's going to be based on one of Solomon's verses where Solomon gives uh, gives spiritual advice about anxiety, and he gives two points in one small little verse, and we'll uncover those two points. But first, I want to remind you that the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, someone turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible says, and do not be conformed to what? Now, that's really important. I want you to make a highlight of that. I want you to highlight that part because it's super important. One of the ways the enemy wrecks our life or creates anxiety in our life is he gets us focused on the world. Jesus is going to tell us, if you want to cure your worry, take your eyes off of the world and take them heavenward. He says it like this. He says, watch, the world and everything of the world is passing away. And it can create a tremendous amount of stress. He puts it another way in in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't bank in this worldly system where thieves can steal, you can lose it, and rust, moths, and other things can decay it. That means your investment can be lost and you're always going to be worried about it. Instead, bank in heaven where it is safe and secure. And then he goes on to say, because where your heart is, excuse me, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so he makes a big point about saying, be careful with this world. And this is why Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't don't do what the world is doing. You're supposed to go against the grain. And then he goes on to say this, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And now watch this, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. What he's saying is this, when you don't do things the world's way, you put your eyes heavenward and you walk with God, he will renew your mind. And as you renew your mind, you gain confidence that you are with him, you see things the way he sees them, you hear him speaking to you, and you're confident that you're step in step with him. That's called being under his anointing. And when you're in the anointing, there's confidence in the anointing. It's what an athlete would say, man, I was in the zone. 
I was in the zone. I had momentum. Everything I threw up went in. It just all felt right. It seemed right. I could do no wrong. Why? Because when you're walking under the holy anointing of God with a renewed mind, it feels like nothing can touch you. Come on, that's where you want to be. You say, but how do I renew your mind? Why is it so important, the mind? Because that's where the battle takes place. We talked about the enemy briefly, and I'm going to talk about him more. But the enemy, he'll attack you in your mind. It's in your mind that he wants to wreak havoc so that you lose sight of God, so that you put your eyes on other things, so that you lose your way, so that you get so wrapped up and make the problem so ginormous that it distracts you, discourages you, and ultimately destroys you. That's what he's after. Come on. How many of us have noticed that when we, when we start focusing on the problem, it seems to get bigger? But God wants us to focus on the provision, the provider, not the problem. And so he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we're going to talk about how do we renew our mind? How do we deal with these, these anxious thoughts that take place in our mind? Well, let's read what the, the wise uh, Solomon has to say. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, the Bible says, anxiety weighs down the heart. Isn't that true? Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. In the New King James Version, it puts it this way. Anxiety in the heart of man causes, come on, can anybody get, can I get an amen from somebody? Say, I've been there, done that. It does cause depression. It will start here, but it will go here, and sooner or later, it just affects your entire body. And so this is a serious, serious issue. The thing I want to highlight for you is this. When Solomon wrote this, he wrote it in Hebrew because all of his Proverbs were written in ancient Hebrew. And in ancient Hebrew, there are no vowels. You go, how do you write with no vowels? This is a heavenly language, God, a, a God-ordained language. And this is why I believe they didn't have vowels because as you add the vowels, there's a certain amount of interpretation that takes place. And one rabbi may add these vowels and the other rabbi may emphasize these vowels. And as you do that, you can actually tweak the meaning of the verse. And so the ancient sages used to say this, these and these are the word of God. What does it mean? It means whether you, you pronounce it this way or you pronounce it this way. There's still the word of God depending on what you need when you need it. Because God's word is living and breathing, and it is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to penetrate to the very heart of the matter. And so when you do that, you come up with two distinct meanings. One of the meanings is anxiety gets you down. Isn't that true? So be careful because anxiety can bring your heart down. But it also means you should get anxiety down. Oh, so you're telling me to beware of anxiety, but when it shows up, put it down? That's exactly what the sage is saying. That's exactly what the Word of God is saying. Look, don't let anxiety get you down, but if it does show up, you get it down. You subdue it. You don't adhere to it. You put it down and make sure it doesn't affect you. Well, how should we do that? Well, it's found in the very meaning of the two ways you can pronounce that word. 
The first way you pronounce it is yashena. Yashena means don't think about it. Remove it from your mind. Forget about it. Isn't that true? Come on. In these two approaches, you're going to see the typical man and the typical woman. And it's almost as if God was saying, you've got a wife's way of, of approaching anxiety and you've got a husband's way of approaching anxiety. And they're both right depending on, on what it is and when it is. And you should learn from one another. Amen. See, God made us different that he might bring us together and make us one. And so the next way of pronouncing it is yasishena. Yasishena means speak it out to others. Talk about it. So one of them is don't talk about it, forget about it, put it out of your mind. The other one is talk about it. And you got to know when to use which. And so let's start off with the one the guy would be more comfortable with. Come on, how many times... Have you heard, uh, uh, ladies, you come, to your wife, you come to your husband with something heavy on your heart, it's becoming an anxiety, anxious thought, and you're molding it over and over and over, and you want to talk it out with him, and he says what? Forget about it. I don't want to talk about it. Let's ignore it. Let's just put it on the, because God made men that way. We're very compartmentalized. We don't think like you. We use one little facet of our brain at a time, and we, do, and we deal with it. And if we don't want to deal with it, we grab it, and we go put it in a folder. <laughs> and in that folder, we know it's there, and we close it up, and then we go on and think about other things. This is foreign to you. I've said this before when I teach marriage seminars, that, that one of the things that used to drive my wife crazy is we'd be driving down the road, and she'd look over at me, and she'd be like, what are you thinking? And I'd go, what am I thinking? <laughs> Nothing. And she always thought I was lying to her. Why? Because women never think about nothing. Can I tell you, we have a folder, and it's the biggest one. It's actually an entire uh, uh, drawer that has nothing. And we like to go to that place and just be in the nothing drawer. Just be there. But to you guys, you always have to be thinking about something. And that's why we're really good. When a problem comes, be like, grab it, put it in the box, close the box. Let's move on. We'll deal with it later. That's actually not bad advice. Because this is interesting. My wife sometimes says, I just don't know how you can always be so peaceful. You take the problem, <laughs> you open the drawer, you shove it in there, and you close it. And then you go play basketball. <laughs> you know, or you go watch a movie, or you go do some yard work, or you do guy stuff, right? And the other day, my wife comes to me, and I can share this because she's sick today, so I'm just going to go for it, right? <laughs> she says this to me. She says, babe, you were right. I said, hold on, let me record this. She <laughs> said, stop playing. I said, I'm not playing. Please say that again. You were right. I was listening to a psychologist, and she was saying on her podcast or wherever she was listening to her, saying that there's sometimes you shouldn't talk about a problem, and you should just forget about it. I'm like, yes, men all over the world are saying hallelujah, right? Yes. And she says, especially late at night. I said, that's just like common sense to me. 
Because the other day it was like 11 at night and, Mel- and Pastor Melissa wanted to talk about church stuff. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. I, the, the, the whole file drawer is locked up. It's, it's done. I'm getting ready for bed. And she's like, but this is important. I said, I don't care if the church is burning down. Call 911. I'm done. I don't care if so-and-so's marriage is on the rocks. It didn't get on the rocks overnight. I'm not going to fix it tonight. Can I just be honest? Some people are like, no, I need to fix it tonight. Dude, you've been breeding this issue for five years. At least give me five weeks. Right? So, so just because you have an issue doesn't mean I'm going to burn my mental health to the ground. I need to sleep. I need to rest. I've had a long day. I'm, come on now. Come on now. Can I get an amen? Some of us are causing our own problems because we don't know when to what. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Put it in the drawer. Leave it alone. You say, but, but is that healthy? Well, that's what Solomon says. In fact, John Wesley shared this with a man who was walking with him. He just kept fretting about everything, 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 and wanted the pastor to give him some advice. Finally, they're walking by a wall, and as they're talking, a cow looks up over the wall, and he says, there it is. And the man gets nervous because he's worried about everything, right? He's like, what do you mean, the cow? He goes, yes. You see how the cow is looking over the wall? You need to look over your problems because if you try to look through them, you'll never see anything. Do you hear what I'm saying? Some of us need to look past our problems to the provider. And when we talk about them and mull them over and mull them over and mull them over, we run the risk of making it more complicated than it needs to be. After all, this is also what Solomon said. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29, he said this, this is all that I have learned. What he's saying, I'm going to give you kind of the nuggets of all the wisdom I've had through life. And this is one of the nuggets that I have found. God made us plain and simple. Can I get a hallelujah, amen? That's from my men. Because also, again, ladies, sometimes we make our husbands more complicated than they need to be. It's funny, some of the, mo- the, the worst arguments we've gotten is because my wife is like doing all this stuff and she's working and she's doing it. And, and I'm like, what are you doing? And then she said, it's for you. And I said, what do you mean it's for me? She said, you know, when, you, when I asked you about that thing and you said, yeah, it's okay. I figured that it wasn't really okay. <laughs> that you meant you wanted me to change it. So I changed it, and I went into this, and then that included this, and then I had to get with the kids, and she made this elaborate thing. And I said, baby, can I tell you, I'm super simple. I'm a man. When I say it's okay, it's She goes, what, what, yeah, but, but I just figured, no, you're trying to treat me like a woman. See, I, you don't have to know how to speak wife. You just have to know how to speak English with me. I say, it's okay, it's okay. And this is what Solomon says, but I think he's talking about more than just women and men. He's talking about all of us. He's saying, hey, look, we tend to make things complicated. Not just some complication, very complicated, he says. God made us simple. In fact, he refers to us as sheep. But we go and decide we want to be donkeys. 
That means we pile all kinds of stuff on us, and we're hard-headed. I was going to say something, but I couldn't think of what. We're hard-headed as donkeys. And God is saying, no, you're called to be a sheep. If you put, if you pile stuff on a sheep, you will kill it. And the sheep is just supposed to listen for the, what, shepherd's voice and follow the shepherd. He says, lay down, you lay down. He says, eat, you eat. He says, drink, you drink. He says, we're moving on, you move on. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is why the Bible says, the Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is be silent. To read it specifically, it says, and you have only to be silent. He follows this up in the book of Psalms uh, 46 with this, be still and know that I am God. Notice what he says, and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Let's put that in our terms. He says, be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted in your marriage. I will be exalted in your family. I will be exalted in your community. I will be exalted wherever I have placed you. Why? Because I'm not working with you. I'm working in you and in spite of you because I am awesome like that. Sometimes we think that God is our partner. He's not our partner. We're the sheep of his pasture. He's the shepherd. There's one shepherd. Amen. And we're called to just be obedient. So he says, be still, be quiet, relax. I made you simple. You go, but pastor, it's not fair because we do face a real enemy. Yes, we face a real enemy, and you don't need to give him any help by making it more complicated. Because you can give him a lot of ammunition just by what you put your mind on. And he will take that and tie you in knots if you let him. And he uses the world. What do you mean the world? Well, the Bible says that the world is under the control of a real Satan, the enemy. And this is why God says often, don't put your confidence in this world. That means be careful of how many possessions you have because it comes a point where those possessions are not owned by you. Those possessions own you. Okay? It's not wrong to have possessions. Someone said, Pastor, it's not wrong to have possessions. I said, yeah, it's wrong for those possessions to have you. And so if you're not careful, you can get so worried about this and that and this and that and it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing in actuality if you just take some time and look heavenward none of this matters isn't that true isn't that true so you want to be careful and then he also uses our flesh and you say but how does he use our flesh well think about this with me for a second because our flesh includes our insecurities our fears our past hurts, our failures, and our negative self-talk. And the negative self-talk will come from those hurts and those failures and the things where we have messed up in life, and the enemy will use that shame and that guilt to have you worry. Well, it always turns out this way for me. And it'll have you saying, like, why am I such a loser? It's very, very, very important you be careful with the questions you ask. Because when you ask your brain a question, it will give an answer. And so if you say, why am I such a loser? What is your brain going to say? He's gonna come up with a, it's going to come up with a laundry list of things. So a better question is, Lord, I know that you love me. What do you have for me? 
Because then you'll start searching God's word and you'll start praying and saying, Lord, I can't wait to see what you have for me. And you'll find verses in the Bible that say, say, say things like this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And you'll start to believe, Lord, I know I may have messed up. I know I may have caused some problems, but you always cause your children to prosper, to triumph. You are for me and not against me. And so we have to be careful, right? So where are we headed with all of this? Where are we headed with all of this? What we're headed is, with is learning how to practice the right thing. Because the Bible says in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, holy, or lovely, excuse me, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, think of these things. So what Paul is literally saying, watch, read it, read it. He says, he says, think of these things, that what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. What is he saying? He says, I've modeled it for you. So what are we called to do? We're called to get in relationship with good modelers, with good disciple makers, people that can bring out the best in us. The other day I said this, I said, it's hard to soar with eagles when you're running with Someone improved it and said it's hard to soar with eagles when you're running with buzzards. Wow, that's even worse. <laughs> that's the lowest, right? But, but, and then the verse of the day, two days ago, I think it was, I sent it to Brother Last, was exactly that from God's word. That good company corrupts. I mean, uh, bad company corrupts good character, that God will use the good people you hang around with to rise, raise you higher. So we're called to be wise in who we hang out with. And you got to find yourself a Paul that models it for you. Watch, so that you can begin to practice what he's shown you, what they've shown you, what you've seen. Why? Because what you practice, you get good at. And can I tell you something? Some of us have gotten really good at worrying and being anxious. We've practiced for a lifetime feeding those, that negative self-talk. We've practiced for a lifetime making a mountain out of a mohill. We've practiced for a lifetime sitting there and worrying right before we go to sleep and letting the enemy run amok. And we've gotten good at it. Guess what? I've tried to get good at saying, I'm done. I've tried to get good at saying, Lord, here it is. I'm taking my hands off of it. I'm going to go ahead and go to sleep. I gave it to you because you're going to be up anyway. Isn't that the truth? He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's way more, more equipped to deal with it than I am. So God, I'll give it to you. But you get good at what you practice, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying there. And do you realize that that verse is in direct response to anxiety? He gives you a few more examples, anecdotes on how to deal with anxiety. In verse 4, that's verse 8. He says, rejoice. And again, I say, that means it's not an option. Practice joy. Practice joy. But I don't feel like it. Who cares what you feel like? Make your feelings line up with his word. And if his word says rejoice, then you rejoice. You get up in the morning and you say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I shall. The word shall is contractual 
meaning I give no wiggle room. It will happen. I will walk in joy today, but I'm stressed, but I'm this, but I'm that. Can I tell you, you will deal with your problems a whole lot better, clearer, and more succinctly with joy, with joy. So you, you rejoice. Now watch this. He says, rejoice, be anxious for nothing, right? And then he says, but with prayer and supplication, make your petitions to God. What does he mean? He says, bring whatever you're worried about to God. Bring it to God. Stop making it bigger in your own mind. Just bring it to God. And let the gentleness be shown and evident in you. You know what that means? I'm going to put it in everyday language. Your chilled out nature should be obvious to you and everyone else. I mean, chill. Not like this. I am joyful. <laughs> you know when your spouse says, hey, you should give God thanks. I am thankful. <laughs> I am joyful. I'm just trying to relax a little bit. That's not chilled. That's not gentleness that's evident to others. And then he goes on to say things like this. He says, and the peace of God, which is outside of this world, will guard your heart and mind. I've counseled people that said, you started here, settled here, and now it affects my whole body. He'll guard your heart and mind. Then he goes on to this. He says, finally, Learn to put your mind in the right thing. Let me, let me do a quick little exercise with you. Are you ready? Are you ready? Everyone close your eyes. And I want you to try hard not to do what I'm talking to you about. Do not think of a big pink elephant. Don't do it. Come on, try hard. Don't think of that elephant. Don't think about how big his ears are. Don't think about how they're swaying back and forth. Don't think about his trunk eating peanuts. Don't think about his skinny little tail back and forth. Don't think about how he's lumbering along. Don't think about it. Come on, fight hard. Don't think about it. Open your eyes. How many of you thought of it? Can I tell you, most of you did to some degree, and I'm not even the enemy that's supernatural in my abilities. Because you don't wrestle a thought to the ground, you replace it. That's what Paul is saying. Don't wrestle that thought to the ground, replace it with a better thought. So instead of thinking about all this worry, how about I thank God for his goodness? How about I think about something in his word where Elijah was triumphant? How about I think about David and how he defeated the giants and how, Lord, you'll give me the strength to do the same. How about I replace it? And that's what Paul is saying. But watch, the key word is practice. Because whatever you practice, you will get good at. Amen? See, oftentimes our imagination gets the best of us. We make the problem bigger and worse than it actually is. I want to share some statistics with you. An average person's anxiety is focused in these areas. 40% of what they're anxious about is on things that will never happen. Hello. It'll never happen. 30% are things that happened in the past. You can't do anything about it. It's done. Water under the bridge. How about 12% are about others and their criticism of you? Who cares? What does God say about you? 10% is about health. And do you know that by being anxious, you're actually hurting your health? <laughs> That's a promise from Jesus. 
Jesus in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verses 19 through 25, he talks about not worrying. And at the very end, he says, how many of you can extend your life by worrying? Can you extend it by even one day? What he's sharing is his wisdom. He's sharing, he's your creator. And I know that by worrying, you will create hypertension. You will have gut issues. You will have all sorts of issues that will shorten your life. And then lastly, 8% problems that must be faced, that will be faced. So, pastor, you told me that Yashena means don't think about it. But all you've told me was that we're going to think about it. Yeah, if you don't know how to put it aside and you got to think about it, then come on, ladies, talk it out. Talk it out. That, those, that, those, that little phrase that every husband loves to hear, we need to talk. We need to talk. Talk it out with your husband, but be willing to hear his perspective. Because God has made him different. At the same time, guys, sometimes she doesn't want you to fix it. She wants to be able to hear herself think. And I, I'm a lot like that in many ways because I'm very verbal. And I have to talk it out. And so I'll call up my disciple maker. Because I want to share with you, there's three ways that you can implement the second strategy. You can talk to yourself. I don't recommend that one. <laughs> You can talk to others. You can talk to God. The first one I choose to talk to is my wife. If I feel that's not something she's up for, then I'll call my disciple maker or someone who is a disciple maker who I'm in relationship with. How many of us know we have to have wisdom on who we choose? Because if you choose someone more, or, uh, more immature than you, you choose someone who's not strong in the Lord, what are they going to do for you? They're going to make you more anxious because their advice is going to be very, very limited and very carnal, and, and they're going to pile more anxiety on you, and then they're going to do their best to check up on you. Come on, how many of you have ever had a, a friend that gives you horrible advice, and then they call up and go, hey, man, I just wanted to check on you. And they put more anxiety on you every time they check. And you're like, ah. No, you got to call someone who can share with you a great, wise perspective. Well, the only people I know like that are, are good Christians. Exactly. And you know what I've learned? That when you talk it out many times out loud, it's different than when you're talking about it in here. How many of you have ever heard that? No, notice that. When you talk it out loud, you go, well, that was stupid. I, I, I can't believe I've been saying that all night to myself. And now I said it out loud, and that's like totally wrong. And it's interesting because I've been on the other side, and someone's talking it out to me. And before I even give them advice, they've already decided that they were wrong, and they get back on the right path. And they say, Pastor, thank you so much. Oh, man, I don't know how I'll ever repay you. I said, I didn't do anything. I just listened. Come on, you ever been there? Because there's something about talking it out loud that the Bible knew was good. Because in your own mind, it can become an echo chamber, and the enemy can 
twist you up and your own self-doubt and all your hurts and your past experiences can wrap you in knots. And when you start speaking it out, you can hear it. And faith comes by hearing. And so your faith is strengthened when you start understanding what it really is and what it really isn't. And then I want to say something else. Do you have a, a second to indulge me on this? Some of us deal with serious, serious trauma. And some of our anxiety is coming from a deep place of hurt and traumatic experience. And I would suggest that you take it to God, but that you find in, those, in that other's category a real, wise, Christian, clinical professional that can lead you to healing through talking it out and do what God has gifted them to do, and that is to bring healing. Amen? But that's not always necessary. Sometimes just in our everyday anxious thoughts, we can get it together by just talking it out with a trusted, wise Christian friend. And then ultimately, we want to bring it to God. This is the most important thing we can do, bring it to God. Now, I want to share something with you. Because oftentimes, much of our anxiety comes from doubting God. I'm going to give you a good example. Right now, some people in the world are super anxious about global warming and the condition of our planet. And they have a mindset of scarcity. Things are running out. We're not going to have a future. And I believe this is a ploy from the enemy to rob from your younger generation, to get you thinking in an anxious way. Because when you think in an anxious way, you cannot feel at peace and live your best. He goes, just underline, they're constantly feeding this to you. And do you know that's exactly against God's word? How do I know it's against God's word? Well, because God's word says in more than one place, be fruitful and. So do you think God is capricious and cruel? That he would say, be anxious and multiply. <laughs> so that you overpopulate the planet and really suffer. Is that his goal? So when he says, be fruitful and multiply on a planet he created, did he know what he was doing? So where is that talk coming from? Is it coming from his word or is it coming from the world? It's coming from the world. And who is the prince of this world? The devil is. And so I want you to put your eyes heavenward. Say, Lord, you said be fruitful and multiply. You said you're going to come back to this earth. You're going to rule for a thousand years, for a thousand years on this earth. The earth is going to be fine. I don't need to be worrying about stuff that I'll never have to deal with. Uh-oh. Hello. You say, but what does that have to do with my everyday life? Can I tell you, if you use that same mindset, say, what does your word say? You'll start to realize that the enemy's game is always the same. He tries to twist God's words and get you to worry about things he already said he took care of. He already said he's taking care of it. So stand firm on his word. Trust the Lord in it. And let him renew your mind. Understand the power of prayer and the secret place. See, I want you for homework to go to Matthew chapter 6. This is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 
Read all of chapter 6. You're going to hear something amazing in Jesus' advice for you about defeating anxiety. And this is what you have as an outline for chapter 6. He talks about the secret place, but you're going to notice something. He's going to talk about giving, prayer, and fasting. Several weeks ago, I talked about the power of the secret place. It's where you meet with God. What is that secret place? It's that dedicated time where you get alone with God and you develop a relationship. How? You start talking to him. You start praying to him. You start saying, Lord, you know my anxious thoughts. How about I just put them before you? And in that secret place is what he describes at the first part of the chapter. Then he goes into treasure in heaven. And he says what I said earlier. If you put your confidence in the treasures here on earth, you're going to worry about thieves. You're going to worry about spoilage. You're going to worry about losing it and loss. You're going to worry about all sorts of things. And it's going to crowd out your, your mind. He says, focus on heaven. Let go of this. You can have it. But notice, your main priority should be heaven. Then he goes on to say, don't worry. He says, look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds of the air. Look at all of God's creation. It doesn't worry. And yet the flowers were, were brighter and more beautiful than Solomon. And the birds are always fed by God's hand. And he says, you're more important than flowers and you're more important than birds. Trust the Lord. And then he finishes with this, seek ye first the kingdom. Put your eyes firmly on Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom, and he will take care of your life. Wow. Wow. So, a few years ago, more than a few years ago, it's quite a while ago, um, we had moved into this building This is third service. You got two extra minutes? We moved into this building, and um, a group of people decided they wanted control. And they say, we need to be on your elder board. And they had a meeting in the park, and they did all these things, and they said, we need to be on your elder board. And I said, where's this coming from? We've always been close. Well, now that we have our own building and people are starting to come and we're really starting to grow, we figured it's now or never that we get control of you. Well, I didn't know it was about control. If you want to be part of my leadership team, it's not about control. It's about blessing our community. And they said, well, we need this, we need that. I said, with that attitude, I, I don't think so. I'd have to bring it to our elder board, but I, I can almost assure you their answer is no <laughs> with that attitude. So they got upset, and they said, well, we're going to leave. And they said, let's see how you pay for that building without our tithe. And we're telling everyone, and we're, we're taking as many people with us. And then they said this to me. I'll never forget this. One gentleman said, we'll see how you feel when you go back to the school with your tail between your legs. And that, that did something in me. Because I started feeling fearful. Oh, man. What is the whole community going to say? How embarrassing. And so then um, I started having trouble staying, uh, going to bed at night. 
And I realized that our, our like, for lights and utilities and this, that, it's, it's, it can be four or 5000 a month. We only had 1200 in our bank account. That's not salaries. That's not the rest of the, the ministry operations. That's just like utilities. And I'm going, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I started worrying about my family and I started worrying about what people would think. And I started, I mean, and, and you can imagine, it just started going, going, going because God gave us this amazing ability to think quickly when we're in that fight or flight mode. And when we're in that fight or flight mode, then, then, then all sorts of adrenaline and all sorts of your adrenal glands start going. And, and man, I couldn't sleep. I was like hyper and my, my heart's going, I'm like, I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm, I'm spiraling downward because I haven't slept in four days and I can't see straight and I'm just struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. And then finally, I'll never forget, I'm at night and it's been eight hours and I haven't slept for the fifth night or something, Brother Jerry, and I'm sitting there going, what do I do? And then finally, I just said, Lord, I humble myself before you. I don't care if I go back to the school it's not with my tail between my legs. It's because you called me back, and wherever you call, I will follow you, Lord. I will follow you, Lord. I'll follow you. And so I just nail that to the cross right here. I don't care about what man thinks. I care about pleasing you, and I humble myself before you. And then I said, Lord, I just want to thank you. Did you know that there are studies that are being done now that show where gratitude is, anxiety cannot live? But it's super hard to replace anxiety with gratitude. Because when you go to try to be grateful, I couldn't think of anything I could be grateful for. And when I started kind of trying to be grateful, all I could think about is all gone. And the enemy kept telling me, it's all gone, it's all gone. Finally, I said, guess what? My wife hasn't left me. Thank you for my beautiful wife. I thank you for my beautiful children. God, as long as I have them. And then God goes, you have more than them. You have a beautiful church. And I started thanking for you. And then I started thanking him for my parents. And then I started thanking him for his word. And then it just grew and grew and grew. And I just kept saying, Lord, I humble myself and I thank you. I humble myself and I started praising and singing some old hymns that I learned. And I thank you for my Baptist upbringing, God. And I thank you for the fact that you didn't leave me as a Baptist. <laughs> you brought me beyond that. And, you, and I started thanking you for everything, right? And then, and then I said this, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And, and guys, you've heard me say this more than once. You've heard me pray this way, and I want to I encourage you to do the same. Lord, I'm not going to tell you how to do your business. I trust you. That's super important because I used to tell him how to do his business. I used to say, Lord, I need, and here's my plan. Here's my outline. Here's the blueprint. Hook it up, God. Do you know that's super anxious and, and stressful when you're trying to manage God? Because how many of you know it's hard to manage God? Super hard to manage God. So what did you do, Pastor? I just said, you decide. You're the king of glory. I'm a sheep of your pasture. You say, go back to the school. I go back to the school. You say, be faithful where I put you, I'll be faithful where I put you. You say, preach this, I preach that. You say, pay this, I pay that. You say, preach on this. And just, I'll never forget, I started praying that, and, and, and this is where the, where the message finishes. 
I fell asleep after six hours, eight hours of prayer. The next night after six hours of prayer. The next night after four hours of prayer. The next night after two hours of prayer. The next night after one hour of prayer. And the following night after that, it was about the seventh day, I had to fight to pray for one hour because I was falling asleep. And I would start to pray, and I'd fall deep asleep. And one time I was praying, and I'm trying to, I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. And I felt the Lord say, rest. I've got you. I'm your rest. I just fell asleep. My anxiety was gone. And then he gave me a picture of a little demon messing with me hard for those many days. And he pushed me to prayer. He pushed me. God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, including the attack of the enemy. And so he was growing me, and I felt like another bigger demon came to this little demon and went like this to him. Are you kidding me? You've been messing with him, and now he's praying like John Wesley or something here. What are you doing? You're going to cause a big problem for us. You're making him a spiritual giant. Leave him alone. Amen. So you say, Pastor, what do you do? Humble yourself, be grateful, and surrender and trust. I love you, church. I love you. You have the antidote for anxiety right there. The antidote for anxiety right there. Before we leave, would you take your communion cup? Would you take a moment? And right there where you sit, would you have a conversation with the Holy Spirit? Would you and him talk about your anxiety and your fear? Whatever it is. It might be about you as a father. It might be about you as a wife. It might be about you as a businessman. It might be about your finances. It might be about your children. Whatever it is. And would you just say, Lord, I trust you. I humble myself before you. I thank you for all the good, chief among them, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for me. I thank you for that. I thank you that I'm your son and daughter. And right here, right now, with this issue, with this problem, I trust you. No longer can the enemy manipulate me by it. I give it to you. In Jesus' name, be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week.